I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. I do want to welcome everyone back. Um, uh, today on the program, we've got uh, my counterpart, Angie Peltier uh, from Northwest Minnesota, uh, and she's going to be guiding the discussion. She's got a, a long history in plant pathology, and uh, we also have plant pathologist on Dean Melvick uh, from St. Paul uh, to kind of drive, uh, help drive the discussion today. So, uh, with that, I do want to call out thanks uh, to, to sponsorship for this program today, uh, both Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council, as well as the Soybean Research and Promotion Council. Uh, thanks for their generous support this season to keep uh, keep things moving here. So with with that, I'm, uh, I'm going to turn things over to my counterpart. After I make just a couple of brief comments, Angie, uh, you know, we've got a project down here in Southeast where we do some, some different demonstration research uh, trials as well as keep tabs on things in the field. We've got a student intern this summer and he's been uh, scouting fields for us in Southeast Minnesota, um, looking at uh, uh, various things. And uh, before, uh, before we get started, kind of a little off topic, but we've been kind of keeping tabs on things because the spraying activity is really, really picked up. And uh, and so he's been monitoring some fields. And first thing I want to mention is the soybean aphid. Uh, over the last handful of uh, weeks, he's been monitoring things. Uh, initially, we found a, a, a few plants with higher numbers, and then that kind of dissipated, and we had very, very low, almost undetectable levels. Uh, and then earlier this week, we started to pick up a handful of plants uh, that were getting up in that 40 to 50 range, but a lot of zeros too. So. Uh, you know, if you're out scouting your fields and wondering, wow, what's all this spray activity going on? Uh, you know, that's uh, just wanted to bring that up that uh, we're scouting some of these things and uh, and that's where that's at. Now, Dean uh, has got a set of sentinel plots that we planted this spring um, with different hybrids and, and, you know, tar spot, which is the topic of the day. Um, we planted these sentinel hybrids for you, Dean, and I've looked through those a handful of times now and just not seen really any incidents of tar spot or any other corn leaf diseases. So just kind of a brief synopsis of, of what we've been seeing uh, when we get out in the field um, at this point in the season, we start to monitor those late season uh, insects and diseases that can come in and be yield limiting in certain circumstances. But with that, I wanna kind of pass uh, the torch over uh, to Angie. Uh, if she's got any comments to make, um, and then we'll kind of move forward with a discussion um, on tar spot and take questions and go from there. Thanks, Ryan. Um, I'll just give a little report about what I've been seeing up in the northwest of the state. Um, our soybeans a couple of weeks ago now began to pull out of iron deficiency chlorosis symptoms. So they're trying hard to close rows. And um, other than IDC, we see a little bit of, of bacterial blight, but a very little bit. And um, otherwise the, the rest of the, the soybeans are pretty clean. I have yet to find my first soybean aphid, but I've also yet to um, check my 
my usual spots where I would expect to see them first. Um, and that's right next to um, right next to some uh, wooded areas right alongside of fields. So um, in the corn, again, also pretty darn clean this time of the, the growing season. Although I would expect that some of the people that have gotten some hail and strong winds, um, you know, we might be seeing some patches of Goss's uh, blight symptoms start to show up here if they haven't already in, in those instances. Um, Dean, what have you been seeing on, on your travels throughout the state? Yeah, that's, you know, with the highly variable weather across the state, certainly the conditions that people are reporting in both crop growth and diseases is quite different. Um, in the southwest, south central, there's been some reports of significant phytophthora issues on soybeans in some fields, which is interesting. Um, you know, we don't see a lot of large outbreaks. Um, I'm not sure how large that is, but I've heard a few reports. We've had some you know, rhizoctonia in some of our, our plots where we've irrigated, uh, just kind of illustrating again the risk of that disease when we have late planting and high soil moisture. Um, again, I don't think there's been a lot of that in big scale, but it's something that pops up under the right conditions. Um, other than that, on, on soybean, I haven't seen or heard of a lot. Certainly bacterial blight is prevalent in many fields now, including here in St. Paul. Not anything to be really concerned about in most cases, except for your brown spots, which in the lower leaves is, is there in many fields, as it always is. Again, nothing to usually be concerned about. On corn, you know, not, not a lot of major issues, certainly. This is usually about the time that corn diseases start to take off, as is true of soybean diseases. Uh, in early August to mid-August, not a lot of major or even minor issues that I'm aware of. I've seen rust out there, for sure. I've seen some early lesions in northern corn leaf blight. And, of course, the, one of the big topics that a lot of people are concerned about is tar spot. Um, had a report of that in southern Freeborn, excuse me, um, Fillmore County, that was in crop news a couple of weeks ago. And we have other reports now from Freeborn and Olmstead. So it, that, that disease is starting to develop as we kind of typically think now in early August, not high levels anywhere. But overall in the big picture of corn and soybean diseases, I'm not aware of much happening that's of highly significant nature right now. So you both mentioned tar spot, and um, I know that 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 particular disease has been a, a a pretty big issue, particularly in wet years, um, and has the last several years its range has been expanding in the state since its arrival of what three years ago is it, Dean? Yes, all of 2019 it was first found in southeast Minnesota. Great. Um, not great that it was found, but thank you for that answer. Um, can you please provide us with um, what, what the state of our knowledge is about this particular disease, how, um, how it spreads, how best folks have, have found to manage it? And then um, are, do we have any options um, for our 2023 uh, corn crop do we have any way to prevent uh, tar spot in, um, epidemics? Okay, Angie, I'd be glad to provide a bit of a summary. I think a number of folks are, are certainly familiar with the disease. And 
but I, I want to, some are not, and there's still a lot of mystery, I think, surrounding this. So I'm going to cover a few of the, the main points that I, I think are important to keep in mind, not to go into this in great depth. Again, what I want to cover very briefly is what is tar spot? Where is it? Uh, a little bit about what we know about the spread and the scouting. And then what do we know about management? And so tar spot, there are a few basic facts to keep in mind. It's, it is a fungal disease. Um, so unlike Goss's wilt, you know, this can be managed at least to some extent with fungicide applications. And the name is very um, descriptive because the spots, the lesions, the fungal structures produced on the leaves by the disease are, are very black, black as tar, and, and very small, usually just a, a few millimeters in length. And corn at all growth stages is susceptible to infection. You know, our first report of this in Minnesota this year was actually the last week of June, and roughly, I think, V6 corn at, at very low levels, but still it was found. Uh, infected corn residue is certainly the main source of inoculum, I think. And in all the places so far in Minnesota, and I think probably in other states where the disease has been found so far, it's been found in fields where the disease has been present, either there or very nearby. So I think the more inoculum we have in the vicinity of that field, the more likelihood we'll have early infection and also more likely we'll develop high levels of infection. But we also know the pathogen can spread by wind and we don't have a good understanding yet how far that can spread. And a disease is favored by cool and wet weather. In some ways, it may be similar to the weather that favors white mold. Um, this disease, tar spot, does not do well under dry conditions. And just a bit of a review where the disease has been found. Now, again, it was found for the first time in the U.S. in northern Illinois and northern Indiana in 2015. Since then, it's spread across much of the Corn Belt, across all of Iowa, across much of Ohio, uh, pretty far up into Michigan and Wisconsin, you know, down far as southern Illinois and Indiana, and as far east as eastern Pennsylvania. So it's been spreading, it's been increasing. And so some folks certainly will wonder, well, where has it been found so far this year? Um, there is a map. It's on, if you look it up, it's Minnesota. Uh, let's see, it's that corn. Um, IPM pipe. Corn IPM pipe. You can look that up on a website and you can see a map there showing the current confirmed distribution of tar spot across the US. And the current map shows a number of counties where it has been found, again, all in areas where it has been found before. Generally, what we're finding uh, when we find it in new counties, it's a little later in the season. This is driven probably by two things spread of spores from areas where it's very prevalent two new areas, as well as the weather conditions that would favor it. And so again, it's been spreading in Minnesota. We kind of focus on Minnesota and, and it was found for the first time three years ago in the very southeastern part of the state, southern Fillmore County. And as of last, let's say at this time last year, we knew it to be as far north and west as Lesur County. But by the by early October, we had found it and confirmed it as far as Stearns County. Again, there are some sharp-eyed observers looking up in that part of the state and they found it at low, very low levels in some late planted corn that was still green in early October. 
So again, we know the disease is spreading and we don't really know how far it is spreading. You think about how far we know it's spread in, in roughly two years from Southeast to roughly central Minnesota, it could very easily be you know, well into the middle of the Red River Valley in, in a couple of years if it keeps spreading at the same rate. That's pure speculation. We don't know how far it will spread nor how fast. And so early in the cycle at this time of the year, in a lot of fields, it's gonna be hard to find. These initial spots are just black, elongated raised spots on the leaves that, that look like insect grass and dirt and other things. All of those others can easily be wiped off typically with a finger. Um, and I was in a field yesterday looking at some spots on leaves thinking, oh, is that tar spot? And looking closer and wiping my finger across that leaf and those spots came right off and it was very clear it wasn't. And so in my plots at Rosemount where I was yesterday, there was no tar spot I could find. We found it later there in the year last year. Um, so it can start out with just one or two of these spots on the leaves to, to a few more. So it's, it's not necessarily easy to find at the first stage. And the disease, a key point is that the disease can develop pretty rapidly from leaves with just a few of these spots to leaves covered and leaves killed, you know, in two to three weeks under the right conditions. So hence, it is a disease we need to be really watchful of. And it's an easy thing for me to say at this point, well, scout the fields and then respond. Yes, we can do that to some extent, but of course in a large cornfield in early August, it's not easy to see every place where it could be developing. We know it can develop in patches in the middle of fields and spread from there. So this is a, a bit of a challenge, the fact that it can develop quickly under, fairly quickly, maybe we could say under the right conditions, but also not necessarily easy to scout for. And just a few points about how the disease develops. Again, we think probably in most fields, inoculum is coming from within the fields, although we know it can spread from outside the fields. But most of the early season infection is probably coming from within the field or from very close. Those spores from that residue, from the fungus growing on the residue, if it's infected, would go up on the plants, new plants in the middle of summer, under wet conditions, you know, infect the plants. And then within 14 to 21 days, those black spots, those tar spots develop. And then new spores can develop from those and the disease can cycle in the field. And that's where we have real concerns with the secondary epidemic developing. And what are some risk factors that we know? We still have a lot to learn about tar spot. It doesn't act the same way in the US in many ways as it does in Central and South America where it has been studied much longer. So what are some risk factors? If tar spot was in the field or area last year, delayed planting, because the disease does seem to be favored by later season conditions, cooler weather, more dew, that kind of thing. Moderate temperatures, high relative humidity, extended leaf wetness, heavy dews, frequent rainfall, and then corn on corn. Those are certainly some of the factors that, that favor it. And water is a significant driver. I've seen pictures, for, for example, from Michigan where center pivots, um, the area under the water have high levels of tar spot and other areas outside of that irrigated area don't. So, so we know 
that water is an important part of the disease development. And what about managing? Just a few key points. I, I think, first of all, we need to scout for it. Ideally, now, I would have thought late July because we hadn't found it or before late July prior to this year, but now it was found in late June this year. So I'd say start scouting. You know, we're past early July this year, but start scouting any time after early July to figure out where the disease is developing. And to think about if we need a fungicide application, where the likelihood we need it is the highest because the earlier the disease develops, the more likely the disease could develop to damaging levels. Of course, that all depends on the weather. Another thing we can do is avoid the most susceptible hybrids. Now, more and more seed companies are identifying hybrids that are significantly lower in susceptibility, and that can definitely make a difference. Fungicides can be effective, but they need to be applied when the epidemic starts. And the timing seems to be sometime in the VT to R2 to R3 range is probably the best timing. And for those fields that are irrigated, you know, irrigate as infrequently as possible to minimize leaf wetness. And again, the best timings seem to be that VTR2. So we're at that time of the year right now, as, as we all know. And many different fungicides work. Um, there is a website called the Crop Protection Network. There's a table on there with um, kind of fungicide efficacy ratings for a number of fungicides for tar spot and a number of other corn diseases. So that is something useful to look at. Um, and again, that's the Crop Protection Network fungicide efficacy tables. And for more information on corn tar spot, Crop Protection Network has it. Um, corn IPM pipe, I mentioned that, that is a source of a, a map and distribution of the disease updated fairly frequently. And I will stop there in terms of a general background on tar spot. So, so Dean, Dean, I oh, I'll let go you go, ahead, Andy. Ryan. Oh, <laughs> right, so staying on the tar spot theme, uh, Dean, is there anything to caution folks about? You know, it's it's real challenging to find these infestations, and so there's there's sort of uh, you know people assess risk in different methods, and so sometimes folks will just decide I'm gonna it's BT, let's put a fungicide on. And what do you, are, is there anything to caution folks about this particular disease and, and, and that strategy? I mean, is my concern yeah, it, gone at that point or, or what are the things to think about if that's my strategy? Yeah, I mean, ideally we wouldn't apply until we knew the disease was developing in the field and we saw weather conditions that looked favorable. And so, in, you know, in Southeast Minnesota, I, I think, you know, we're, we've got a hot week, but overnight we're cooling off, uh, you know, not dramatically, but we're down in the seventies, I would, I would say. And, uh, are those conditions still pretty conducive? Would you say? Cause we're not like, um, you know, at least in the other parts of the state that I've been so, so far where things seem to be kind of yeah. drying out, we, we have pretty good moisture down here. Right. I would say there's some areas that are, that are definitely very favorable from what I can tell. So and I can say that we saw it developing in areas, you know, not too far from Rochester last year. It certainly didn't get a lot of frequent rain. They had adequate rain to support good corn growth, 
but it wasn't certainly a wet year um, in those, some of those locations. And still it developed to pretty significant levels, although it was later in the year that it really took off. Uh, the other point, I think, in terms of the question about the fungicide application at VT, again, since this disease, tar spot, often develops later when it really ramps up, sometimes a VT application will run out of some of its protective power by the time the disease really takes off. So uh, unless we have a good reason to think that VT application is needed, it might be wise if we think we need to apply for tar spot to wait a little bit longer. R1 or R2. So Dean, has has there been work done on, on the residual length uh, you know, of efficacy for this particular disease? Or, you know, has anyone tried to examine that? Like, you know, if, you know, if I put a fungicide on, how much time does that ballpark buy me? Yeah, you know, that's that's not easy to answer because we know there are many different fungicides out there, different formulations, different active ingredients. And they can have different residual activity levels or, or timings. From observation in other states, I've heard two to three weeks might, might be pushing it for many fungicides. So, so, so that's not a very scientific study supporting that. Well, it, it gives us kind of a ballpark idea, I think, where, where protection may how long it may reside, but uh, so Dean, kind of along along those lines, you know, thinking forward, uh, we got a question that came in about the Tar Spotter app, uh, kind of predictive model of you know risk, helping us assess risk. If you wanted to talk about that, it's utility maybe for Minnesota and and anything else that you guys in your lab are working on to to you know try to help manage this disease if if you just want to take a couple minutes and talk yeah a, a couple points tar spotter app some of you know about that it's developed at the university of wisconsin out of madison it's a predictive tool available as a, a smartphone app that you punch in your location gps you put in you know, a number of other variables planting date crop stage things like that and it comes up with a risk of tar spot okay it's, uh, I'll say uh, two things. You know, we're still learning a lot about tar spots. So some of the variables I think are, are subject to some change. It's been shown to be used, certainly useful in some places. Uh, I can say this, uh, we looked at it yesterday for Rosemount, for example. And it said the risk was well above 90%. Um, yet it's been quite dry there and Certainly, I would say not that favorable for tar spot, partly because there isn't a strong history of tar spot there. I think that's a really important driver here. We don't have a real clear history of tar spot in a particular field or nearby. The risk, that even this early in the season, is probably not real high. So I think the prediction was wrong in that location, but if we use it down farther south, where tar spot is more prevalent in southeast, you know, it, it may be more accurate. I think we still have some to learn. I think it's something that's useful to look at, try to assess in your own situations how useful it's going to be. Yeah, so you have to have your own kind of interpretation on it, I guess. Just kind of uh, look at your potential and, and think about it, not just rely yeah. on the tool. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, a really key thing is this disease we know is driven by the weather, as I've mentioned, especially rainfall and moisture. 
And you know, this app, Tarspotter, uses a network of weather stations that they that's that, that feeds into it. And I suspect in many cases the nearest weather station is not close to some particular fields. And we know weather is highly variable, and rainfall is highly variable across the landscape. So I think that's one of the reasons why um, we have to look at this carefully. Regionally, Dean, has anyone looked at, you know, if, if we're in an area like in southeast Minnesota or even the central part of the state where you see a, you know, a higher number of corn on corn acres uh, or a higher, you know, percentage of acres being uh, uh, more years of corn uh, from, you know, the livestock aspect of things, uh, does that increase risk for a, a region versus somewhere that might be more of a 50-50 split or you're getting more uh, acres of soybean or, or does that not matter really? It, it, it does seem to matter, especially for the earliest infection season. Uh, although we have to think about it in the fact that we know this disease can spread from other fields. And I've seen it myself in fields in southeastern Minnesota that were in soybeans previous two years and yet tar sport developed to fairly high levels. But they were also very near other cornfields or other fields that had been in corn previously. So I think the regional aspect is very important as well as the local field aspect. Um, yeah. Well, good. Um, I did, uh, just to mention here, I did put two of the links in the chat stream here uh, that Dean had mentioned, and they're both on his slides here, but the Crop Protection Network Again, if you're if you're listening to the podcast, you see these write-ups. You know, if you Google Crop Protection Network, you can quickly click to this fungicide efficacy in corn, and they also have some other crop information on that website. But uh, Crop Protection Network, good resource, as well as that corn IPM pipe, which uh, gives us some kind of distribution information on various uh, diseases. And that link will actually take you to the the lead landing page for corn diseases in in the U.S. So. Kind of some interesting tools for folks to to look at things and see uh, see what's out there. Yeah, I mean, I want to make the point again that I I, I think it's really important to do some you know, sharp-eyed scouting of corn across at this point, especially central Minnesota, western Minnesota, to try to figure out where this disease is spreading and developing. It's gonna, it may not be a significant issue in many of those places this year. Um, but knowing where it's developing this year, we'll know that the risk is greater in the future years. So again, um, especially in areas where it's been raining more frequently, um, if everybody could use their sharp-eyed scouting skills to, to really look for this, it would be really helpful for everyone. Indeed, this is something even at the time of harvest, when things have progressed to the point of any potential yield loss, you can still see this disease, right? And you could do some assessment at that point in time. You can, but I have to say, unless it's at high levels, it's not. It's much harder to recognize then. Um, it's easier to see on green leaves, for sure. And, uh, you know, just another question, I guess, what, what potential do you think with an infestation that started and, and things were conducive for disease development and regeneration, what kind of potential impact could you have on, on yield? I mean, is it widely variable or, you know, let's say something started right now and things remained uh, in a good, you know, spot as far as development, yeah, as far as yeah. environmental. There are reports of other states 
at least 40 or 50 bushels yield loss they're estimating under really severe conditions, maybe even more in some fields. But then, you know, other fields you've seen and been in, um, you've probably seen where there's been no or maybe limited yield loss. So it's it's not guaranteed, I guess. No, I'm not seeing anything approaching anything near that level in Minnesota. Those reports are from other states and areas where the disease has been pretty heavy in previous years. You know, we saw fields in southeast Minnesota that got pretty severe by late in the season, but a lot of that disease also developed later, um, late August and into September after the crop was was pretty well along. Okay, great. Um, any other questions that are coming in here? I didn't see any come through the chat or the uh, Q and A box, but it's your kind of your last uh, chance here to ask a question as we near the end of the program today. Uh, and as well, uh, Angie or Dean, if you've got any final comments, uh, uh, feel free to make those and, and then we'll see if any questions come in and wrap things up here. I'll just ask you a question then, Dean. Um, what's your, you know, you often see the see advertisements out saying that um, fungicides can improve standability in corn. What's been your experience and um, you know, or is there any kind of rule of thumb that you use for that uh, answering that sort of question? Yeah, that's it's it's a complicated one, right? There are many different things that affect standability. Um, say in Rosemont last year, where there was so much there was so much drought, and in other places, a lot of the standability had nothing to do with with um, fungal diseases, and certainly the places we put fungicides on, it didn't make a difference. It was, it was just due to drought stress. Fungicides quite simply work best when they're controlling a fungal disease. There are instances where certainly they do seem to have other effects. In trials across Minnesota, we haven't seen a strong effect on standability. Uh, I certainly have seen some other results where they have, so it, it's highly, highly variable. Um, you know, in the trials that, that Bruce Potter has kind of led across southern Minnesota, which he summarized in Minnesota Crop News a couple of weeks ago, you know, the odds of return in corn were not very high. Um, they're a little higher, certainly higher in soybean, this sort of insurance application at a VT or R3 stage, um, the latter for soybean. Um, so, so that's my general answer. I think the odds are that it won't provide a big benefit, but there may be a few situations where it does. Well, good. And uh, you can always find that crop news blog. It's a blog. So the, these newsletters don't go away if you get to our crop news site. So uh, we're not going to have time to put that link in here today, but I think uh, we're at the end of the program. So we're going to wrap things up. Um, uh, with things today here, I do want to call out and thank again our sponsors, Minnesota Research and Promotion, Corn Research and Promotion Council and the Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, as well as the uh, guests for being on today and, and helping to kind of uh, bring this discussion along. So thanks to everyone and uh, have a good day.